0: You are listening to Written on Water, a podcast about death, life, and all the layers in between. I believe that by learning how to die well, we learn how to live and love completely. So listen and learn. listening to Written on Water, a podcast about death, life, and all the layers in between. I believe that by learning how to die well, we learn how to live and love completely. So listen and learn. passion to suffer with someone i've heard that word many times in my life but never did i truly understand it until my brother went into the hospice phase of his cancer it was only when i saw the daily changes in his physical being that i began to suffer with him yet to see his spiritual transformation right in front of my eyes was for me enlightenment i saw my brother become a pure soul ready to pass to the next phase of his being and end the suffering of this life. My brother's suffering and beautiful transition made me wonder, why are we so scared of death? Why do we get so focused on the cure and not on living a good life and dying a good death? Why do we take the compassion out of medicine and illness, a place where it needs it the most? So to dive deep into this subject, I invited Pat Berube to join us today. Welcome, Pat. Yes,
1: it's good to see you and to be here, and thank you for inviting me.
0: Thanks for being here. Um, Between being a former nurse and being a Buddhist teacher, I think you probably have an interesting insight into medicine and compassion and views of death. So that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show. So let's kind of go into your background, and why don't you you tell us about being a nurse and how you got into Buddhism and how Mm -hmm. the two have intertwined through your life.
1: All right, yes. So um, I've been uh, basically a uh, Buddhist formally in the 1980s, early 1980s. I first started meditating in 1975 when not too many people were meditating then and you didn't tell
0: them... Maybe in India they were, but not in the
1: States quite yet. No, no, no. It was still very fringy, and I was living in New York City at the time. Mm-hmm. And that sort of thing was happening in California, but not in New York. They're okay. a lot more conservative. So um, <clears throat> I pretty early on, and I was through TM, where a lot of people meditated, and very early on I started having some experiences and uh, some insights that I could really... Uh, you know work on problems that I had and and um, an understanding of my mind in a way that just opened up and um, so that really basically within like a year I had moved out to California
0: so you just it just <laughs> swept you in and moved you across the country
1: somehow or other I missed the fact that there actually was Buddhism happening in New York City
0: well there we go but, uh, <laughs> I
1: went ahead and moved out to California mm-hmm. and uh, that was a good move in so many ways and uh, I've worked as a nurse for many years um, and basically I've been a nurse for quite a long time and uh, it's really been very helpful because being a nurse and also doing the meditation and being involved with Buddhism has really helped me to integrate it into my life so it's not just a matter of just sitting and with your eyes closed or your eyes open and and, uh, meditating but it was actually integrating The whole compassion, understanding, uh, taking much more responsibility for what was going on in my mind in a way that was helpful and and, uh, helpful
0: for me, but helpful for other people I was working with. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of the most interesting things for me is the Buddhist views on death. Because it's not, it's going to sound funny, but I don't Mm -hmm. think it's a big deal in Buddhism because it's just a part of life. It's just a natural thing, right? right? Can you expand upon yeah,
1: sure. Um, it's a very important part of understanding. I mean, we all know that we're going to die, except that it doesn't penetrate very far beyond our years, for the most part. Mm-hmm. And it's a difficult thing to come to terms with, especially in a general culture, that uh, doesn't have a relationship with death and dying that isn't full of fear and and concern and worries. Mm-hmm. So... Um, this is very different, you know, in the Buddhist countries, a lot of them, their death is happening all around them. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very much an integral part of their of their life. And so the, it's very important to understand impermanence. That it isn't just impermanence in terms of our death, but it's really impermanence at every moment. Right. And so at every moment, and things change all the time. There's a change in quality to life you never really know what's going to happen you think you do and you make plans for the future and you worry about the past and but it it's all just sort of in our you know it's kind of imagination it's kind of our uh, our rumination our way of kind of perhaps even entertaining ourselves Mm -hmm. and um, so the impermanence of of uh, of it is really important for helping us to realize that we really have an opportunity to transform ourselves
0: because it in buddhism it really is about transformation it is very much into so. another life another spirit what is the exact sort of recipe there
1: well uh it's really uh really looking at your mind mm-hmm. most of us don't look at our mind we're always looking outside and we're looking for External circumstances to be more ideal, to have the right relationship, Mm -hmm. and and, um, you know maybe the right kind of drug or something. Right. (laughs) Um, There's there's always this desire to change our external circumstances, thinking that that's going to give us some happiness, and it does give us some fleeting happiness here and there. You redecorate a room, you know, and you can feel a sense of appreciation for that, but it's all really impermanent right and to realize that those, certainly those terrible fires we've had in california and having your your house just go up in flames you know and then whatever you've done to make it look so beautiful is really it's uh, um it's just not there anymore it's not where the real juice
0: is for how we can find happiness in this life so our attachments in life almost bog us down in a way yeah, they do. and help us not to see clearly which
1: comes to the fact that in Buddhism, what a, a big part of our practice is really understanding how we get caught, okay, and our afflictions, and we all have them. We all have these ways of kind of clinging to things, and having, getting caught up in hope and fear, and um, and wanting things to be different. Like mm-hmm. the
0: grass is always greener, isn't it? And always yeah. thinking
1: that we're not okay. Right. And there, I read something very recently about uh, Jetsonma um, Tenzin Palmo. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you're familiar
0: with her. I'm anymore. not. No, please explain. Okay. Yeah.
1: She's uh, is an English woman mm-hmm. who was very interested in the spiritual, um, whole, the spiritual movement. And she's in her early 70s now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she actually meditated for 12 years wow. in a cave
0: completely by herself. 12 years. 12 years in a cave in the Himalayas all by herself. And she had provisions. She managed to keep herself alive and well. And
1: She had set it up so that there was somebody who was bringing provisions every so many months. Wow. And there's oh. a wonderful book that you could read about mm-hmm. that called A Cave in the Snow. Okay. And it's a wonderful book, and it's hard to even put it down because it's so good in terms of the challenges she had if you can only imagine in the Himalayas at high altitude with a lot of snow and
0: sitting still for five minutes for most people is a challenge and uh, (laughs) there was a
1: lot of concern for her safety and so they you know they did make some kind of attempt to try to help her with that Uh, but being alone up in the Himalayas if anybody knew you know she didn't want to be you know attacked by anybody so Anyway, it worked out for her, and she would have stayed there longer, but I think that India had taken away her visa or there was some kind of issue like that.
0: <laughs> Which so, is silly considering what she's doing. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's I just day to day, you know. But
1: she is amazing, and I've met her several times. Okay. And we've been to her nunnery. She started a nunnery. It's right, it's in Himachal Pradesh. Okay, yeah. That's not very far from where the Karmapa lives. Mm hmm. And um, and so she has basically started a nunnery to, to give a woman, young woman, an opportunity uh, to completely study the Dharma. In oh, wow. a way that was it's given to the monks, but right. not to the nuns.
0: Oh, how neat. So she's kind of equalizing oh, the, totally. so the road. So she's totally into,
1: um, you know, she's her own brand of feminism. I don't know if yeah. she would quite say it that, yeah. quite
0: that way. Right. But, um, well, she and Pema probably have... Oh yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> arm in arm, oh, yeah. You know, women's rights Buddhist nuns. You but know, she has
1: a beautiful nunnery, absolutely <laughs> gorgeous, beautiful nunnery. And wow. and if you were to see the pictures of the of the faces of these young nuns, yeah, it would blow you away. They they are have this expansive look on their face, wow, and they look so happy, neat, and uh, so makes she's me want to go. She's <laughs> yeah, she's doing an incredible job. Uh, training them and um, and even getting some teachers uh, like uh, Dr. Alan Wallace, who's mm-hmm. uh, written a number of books and has made commentaries, translations on a number of different teachings, mm-hmm. and as in the last couple of years, has had him go there and to teach them. Mm-hmm. So they're getting a lot. And um, so anyway, the, the point of my bringing her up, I'm sorry, <laughs> is that she said, somebody had asked her. <clears throat> well what did you learn? What was a big thing that you learned after being in there for twelve years? Right. And she says what she learned what it was completely okay, it was all right for her to not be alright.
0: That's a pretty big one to it is to come big. out of there, you know.
1: It really is. I'm sure that she learned a lot more than that. However yeah.
0: <clears throat> fundamentally
1: we really have that essential goodness. Yeah. And but we don't feel that. No. And we don't feel it because we're always looking outside in order to feel
0: better about ourselves. And everybody's trying to feel better. They're trying to feel better quickly, right? It's not just...
1: Everybody's doing the same thing.
0: Like, how can I be mindful in five minutes? You know, or how can I do power yoga? (laughs) You know, and and it's almost a a funny just juxtaposition in the sense that mindfulness takes centuries... You well, know? Yeah, it really
1: does. Yeah. And it, it realized how long it has taken you to get where you are. Yeah. You know, and it you just have to believe that it's going to happen
0: and it will. Right. And I, and I found that, you know, when my brother was transitioning, yeah. everybody would be like, are you guys okay? And I'd be like, yeah. no, we're not okay. <laughs> we're not okay. And it's yeah. what it is right now. Right. And it's fine. It's exactly what it needs to be right. at this very moment. Right. And it will change, yeah. you know. And unfortunately, that change means he won't be here. Yeah. And that's what's going to happen. But, you know, we're not okay and yeah. that's fine. Yeah. And after he's gone, I probably won't be okay for a while. But, right. but yeah. I will be constantly changing and evolving into a new being, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of funny how everybody's just like trying to figure out how to make you okay. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just, it's okay not to be okay. Exactly yeah. what she said, you know. It's part of being human.
1: I was so impressed that you did that. You basically just took off, put your life on hold. And just be with him. That was yeah. so
0: sweet. There were a lot of struggles because <laughs> right. I kept trying to figure out how I was going to do this, and at what point yeah. did I have to stop doing that? Right. And really, it comes back to compassion. I was just like, right. "What do I have better to do than right. to take care of a human being right. that needs me and has nobody else? Yeah. I'm the only person." Yeah,
1: and so, he's close. To you
0: and too. he's close. Yeah. yeah. And so, what else would I possibly do yeah. with my time? Um, And, you know, I even had family members that were Mm -hmm. like, you should think about putting him in a nursing facility. And I just said, okay, that's going to be a waste of time because, A, I'm going to be down there every day bossing the nurses around and driving (laughs) them crazy and trying to figure out what they're feeding him, what kind of crap they're (laughs) feeding him. So, like, it's going to be more work to keep him somewhere else than to keep him at home where I can... Control the situation a little bit, I can't control his body and how he's progressing, mm-hmm. but I know he can have a solid meal on the table that tastes good yeah, and friends yeah. visiting and yeah. the dog with him and yeah. things to keep him comfortable and show him some dignity when yeah. all else is kind of lost at the moment you mm-hmm. know so yeah. but I think it's it's I think the heart of it is compassion and really yeah, suffering sure. with somebody and I, I feel like for me what I learned was in order to truly be compassionate, you have to be selfless in a way that's true that's you
1: know, true. You know, last year, um, they, there's a, a movie that's on Amazon Prime, mm-hmm. and it's called Nothing to Do. Hmm. Okay. And it's very interesting. I was very fascinated that this movie was put out because it almost seems like it was less of a movie and more of, almost, uh, in, in the form of a movie, was a teaching. Yeah, And the teaching was just what you did. Mm-hmm. And uh, this man received a telephone call that his father was in the hospital, And he doesn't know that his father has had many episodes of of, uh, getting close to death. Right. Because nobody was telling him. Right. And he had no advance directive. And his father wasn't telling him because he didn't want to worry anyone. But in fact, he gets there and he finds out that his father is dying. Mm -hmm. So he calls up his work and he puts everything on hold. Mm -hmm. And he just goes to be with his father. And the amazing thing is that he said, Dad, what do you want do you want to have happen Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know and he his father accepted the fact that he was going to die Mm -hmm. and he says whatever you want to do I'll do right it's very sweet right right and um and his father said I don't want to go to the hospital anymore I've had enough Mm -hmm. I've had a good life I just want to be here with you and your sister right and so that's what he did except for his sister was uh, very controlling and very not accepting of the whole scene and so there's a certain part of the of the flick went through her transformation of coming to Except that the, the the kindest thing for her to do would to be to allow her father to go in a way
0: that was that he wanted. And that acceptance for it's a really hard pill to it's swallow. Hard, <laughs> it's you like, have to let go. Oh my gosh! To make it, it all work. Yeah, I mean, I remember for us, I think it was one we had to call hospice in because yeah. when you when you get in hospice, you're basically completely agreeing to the fact that someone's going to die within six right. months. Exactly it's a referral from the doctor saying no more treatment is needed this is the end of the road so when you hit that phase you kind of have to it's like the acceptance has to happen soon otherwise you're going to have it's already a tough time you're going to have a really hard time with it but kind of brings me into the medical world Mm -hmm. doctors are just so cure driven you know Mm -hmm. they all they want is to treat 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 and i found this with my brother no one had a discussion with us i mean i had a had a suggestion from my cousin about oh. going hospice the hospital never talked to me about it okay. and so i guess the question is i mean i know you know in buddhist thought this is all integral right so it's almost like you're living in order to die a good death in many ways yeah. and and then live many lives after that yeah. you know hoping to reach enlightenment right i, I believe that's the sort of yes. quick and dirty <laughs> the core principle um, whereas here you know a doctor almost it's almost a failure for them to admit you have to go to hospice and to send somebody home and I think that's probably a teaching that needs to be changed in medical school or I don't really know where that that cracks point is but I feel like it's important for people to understand that dying a good death Mm -hmm. it's not a failure you know to be dying it's part of human nature and life Right. I
1: think that's changing though, you know. Okay. I mean from Doctor Otto Goandi, you know, yeah. his books uh, Being Mortal Being Mortal Amazing and, yeah. and actually he has a couple of a couple of episodes on YouTube, which if you know you don't want to sit down and read a book, you know, that's like a quickie. Yeah. And interviews that he's had and stuff. So, the, you know, that's incredibly helpful because he's so was vulnerable and open to the fact that he failed some people right. through his efforts to try to do everything and
0: responding to certain family members that wanted everything done, right
1: when that didn't really serve the patient and he knew in his heart of hearts that, she, you know, she was just going to die. right So, um, you know, he's just really changed that a lot and really talked a lot more with patients, with their families... And so, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a difficult, it's a very complex situation. The whole medical field is very complex. And the fact that it's gotten very politicized doesn't really, yeah. is really probably a big uh, problem with it. Because if you leave doctors and nurses to do their job,
0: they're going to do the right thing, I think. Yeah, but uh, I, it also but. is a field full of ego. Yes, yeah, As it well, it unfortunately. Is. And so, yeah. you know, is it a hit to the ego to send someone to hospice? like, Or, you know, is somebody humble enough to say, mm-hmm. okay, we did what we could, and the yeah. body's just saying, I'm out, you know? I think
1: they're getting better with that, though, okay. because a lot of hospitals now, I think it's a requirement for them to have palliative care.
0: Oh, that's good. And that's a fairly new field, so it is a new that's field. current. Right, yeah, and the yeah.
1: palliative care uh, is is about helping people to feel comfortable mm-hmm. while while they're alive right it's uh, and hospice always sort of has that aura of you know you're basically you're going to die and you know we'll kind of help you with that but um but most of it is kind of left to the family. Right. And that was very clear in that flick, that nothing to do. Right. Is it basically, he, it kind of got dumped in his lap and he didn't realize that hospice wasn't going to really be there. He had to be there. Right.
0: So, um, and hospice can be there to a certain extent as yes. well. But a yeah. lot of it falls on the onus of the caregiver right, and, and family. family. And, and yeah. that's a
1: that's a whole nother issue I mean there's so many issues in the whole medical field right
0: now it's really yeah and and the fact of the matter is people don't want to die (laughs) they don't want to talk about death they don't want to deal with it it's just a sticky matter and the the other side of it is we have to deal with it and we're all going to be dealing with it and it's it's just what it is you know
1: well it's it's really a process yeah and as we get older as each decade clicks in Then you know that that uh, it's sort of a body mind spirits kind of comes into alignment mm-hmm. and you realize that your time is more limited right and what do I want to do for the rest of my life right you know for however much I have time left right you know and over the course of one's life you can have car accidents that you know give you little experiences knowing that you know things could suddenly change yeah you could either be uh, have died or mm-hmm. be terribly. You know, injured so that that affects your life tremendously. So, um yeah. So where are we going with this? Well,
0: <laughs> so many places to go. And I think that's actually this could be a perfect segue into. Um, we had a chat the other day, and you uh-huh. just did some training about being a death doula. Oh yeah. And so we just tell us the basics about that and. I yeah. think that's a concept that a lot of people are just starting it's, to hear about. It's quite new. It is quite new. So, can you tell everybody what is a death doula? What exactly does that entail? And yeah. what interested you in becoming certified in that?
1: Right. Yeah. So, uh, it really was an outgrowth from the birth doula, which I think people might be a little bit more, more familiar with, because mm-hmm. if, uh, if 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 uh, a woman is going to have uh, have a child, uh, it you know the nurses the whole situation that they're at the hospital can be off again on again they never know what could emergency could be happening around her or maybe she wouldn't always get the support that she feels that she needed at a time when it was really
0: mm-hmm. you know
1: a lot of anxiety and concerns about pain and stuff and so uh uh these um this man who had worked at one of the local hospitals and actually was very near where i grew up in new jersey which is very interesting mm, okay and mm. so he basically studied the whole birth doula and took the classes on it mm-hmm. in order to to really bring it to the to a death doula mm-hmm. and so the end of life death doula is very similar in a way to that that movie as i just mentioned that nothing to do where he says to his father what would you like to have happen Mm -hmm. you know and so there's there are three phases to it and the first phase is really to talk with the the dying person about what they would like to have happen during this time when they know they're dying
0: okay and so when they're active when they're actively dying do you want, like, set the stage for me. Do you want candles? Do you want family around? Do you, like, well, that kind of thing? Or?
1: Even before when they're actively dying, because okay. when someone's actively dying, it could really be a matter of hours or even a couple right. of days. Right, So they
0: may, they may be out of it. And they may too. not
1: be able to participate very right.
0: much. But right.
1: when somebody has been given a diagnosis of having months to live, it's really a time to say, okay, you know, do you have some special desires or needs? Mm-hmm. Do you want to have some rituals or... Uh, what do you want to have happen? And I'm thinking of a, of an aunt that I had that passed away a few years ago, mm-hmm. and she was like 92, 93, and she had written the whole thing out. She wanted. She knew exactly what she wanted. She wanted a, all of her family to be around her. She wanted. She loved uh, singing and she loved music, and mm-hmm. so she wanted some music, and um, and she wanted her family to sing songs. She, you know, she wanted a lot of different things. Some of it was more spiritual because they share the same religion, Mm -hmm. and of course, if you're a Buddhist, you know, then there may be certain other kinds of readings for something that's inspirational Mm -hmm. in order to help uh, the dying person to go with the best possible uh, positive feeling. Okay, and that's really the it's it's the intention with the the uh, the end of life doula, but it's also the intention. For Buddhism, mm-hmm. you should, I mean, you should really, the best way to die is to die with, with some positive feelings. Right. And it can be with a desire to be of benefit to other people, but it can also be about letting go of any problems that you've had with family, mm-hmm. letting go of, of this life. And um, I took care of this one young man many years ago when he was dying of AIDS, when people were doing that. Yeah. And he um, and he had his family and friends all around him and he gave away all of his possessions hmm. and at the end of giving away everything and it was very emotional experience being there with him right but as he after he gave away everything you could see there was this big burden was well, lifted. lifted from
0: him interesting and it was a
1: very beautiful beautiful death yeah and so, uh, one way to prepare for that is having that practice of letting go. Mm-hmm. So, when things change in one's life, then we know that you, know, that you can't control every, everything that happens in life. Right. And so, the, the act of, of not letting go to making things be a certain way and to get them to be a certain way and be controlling and stuff. And so, it becomes easier
0: to do that when you're dying. I always, I always coach my employees to pick your battles. <laughs> Don't stress about every little thing or try to control every little thing. Yeah. Save it for the good stuff, <laughs> yeah. know, for the things that are really important. Because otherwise, you're going to be like crying wolf, I and know. nobody's going to listen to you anymore. <laughs> you know, they're just going to block you out if you complain too much. So, I always coach them <laughs> to pick your battles. <laughs> That's good. That's a good. Suggestion. <laughs> I mean, mm. it's it's all about just keeping calm. Letting things roll. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So if people can meditate, that's really, really very helpful. Okay. Because that helps you to let go. Because you see your mind working. Mm-hmm. You can see how you get attached to all kinds of things and that is really very helpful.
0: And that's things and like that's objects and that's thoughts and mm-hmm. that's people and that's right. emotions and that's yeah. the game runs the gamut really what you can be attached to. Oh yeah,
1: that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So it's um the other thing is You know, we can talk about compassion, Mm -hmm. and compassion is a um, very—it's—it's a very big subject, and it—and it actually comes really out of a lot of understanding, deep kind of understanding, Mm -hmm. and so even just being kind is a big, big thing. I mean, Mm -hmm. we just—all you have to do is flip on the news, and you can see that if people would just were—they're just in their own little skulls and their own ego, Mm -hmm. and they don't see anybody. You know the next person, right? And the other person doesn't feel that they're really being seen, right? Like even that young man, you know, standing in front of—I mean, he was only fifteen or right. sixteen, so right. it's asking an awful lot of him to have that kind of awareness. But still, it's, and it's, it's an example for the rest of us is to at least communicate some kindness,
0: right? No, I I completely too, agree. Right. I mean, I in some of my other podcasts we talk a lot about you know how do you deal with somebody who's grieving or going through a crisis. Yeah. And really it's just, you know, just showing your support by being present. Right. You know, you do it doesn't have to be anything lavish or right. a huge spread of food. Why don't you just sit with them and listen and be kind?
1: Yes, and that's actually a very big part also of the, the end of life doula program mm-hmm. is this deep listening.
0: Yeah. Can we
1: listen in a way where we're really hearing? Because if you don't, then you can miss some important cues. So that first phase is to help somebody to plan mm-hmm. what they want. Mm-hmm. And then to get everybody in line with that and to work with all of their reactions and their uh, emotions. issues and emotions yeah. and stuff around that. Mm-hmm. And um, and then the next phase is uh, just doing a vigil. So you be with have, having someone be with them through the dying process mm-hmm. in order to help them, you know, to, to maintain... A, um, a, A letting go, a positive uh, feeling about the process. And usually what ends up happening is is that people are letting go. They really are. And having a chance to really plan these things and help them to let go will help them right at the time of their death. Yeah, I mean that... really does help them.
0: I think talking through it, and that's all the acceptance part that we were talking about, helps them to accept the situation. right. Helps out and really, you know, again on my other podcast, we talk about any kind of planning, right. estate planning, funeral planning, all yeah. that kind of planning is a gift to your family.
1: Oh, it is totally because the
0: family is going to be, you know, grieving and completely destroyed when you're gone. Right. And the last thing they want to do is divvy up your property and talk about taxes and mm-hmm. what, what do you think they'd want us to do with them, right. cremate, bury. Like, these are all horrible yes. issues to have to deal with, but if you Damn. can just Discuss all of these things, even down to who do you want in the room when you die. Right. What kind of music would you like to listen to? Like, I mean, those are pretty specific. Yes, but who you want but, to have
1: read to you? Yeah, if, at your bedside. Who do you not
0: want to see at your bedside? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we can let go of some stuff, but it's okay to hold a little grudge well, here and there. <laughs>
1: sometimes people that are significant others just really can't quite be there in yeah. a good positive way. Yeah. And that actually can be disruptive. Totally. So and that's actually another part of the end of life doula is that they really try to help the family members or the significant others to yeah. to work with their own grief. Right. <clears throat> Right. And then after the death, to reprocess it, right, and to let them know that the grieving process can go on for a couple of years.
0: So oh, it could be a lifetime, and, and it, it could just be a
1: lifetime. It keeps flashing on things, and it, it really, mm-hmm. you know, grips it, you.
0: It's unfortunately can't be put in a cute little box with a ribbon on it. You <laughs> oh. know, it's just it yeah. depends on the person and, and your yeah. connection to the one that's passed, right. And right? Your mental state at the time. There's so many issues, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, so that's that's an interesting mm-hmm. concept. And how do you find a death doula? Like, are they mm-hmm. widely available, or are they connected to hospices, or is it a growing uh, movement, or how is this all? It's
1: growing. Um, it's part of the biggest, bigger problem of the healthcare system. <laughs> and this is funny, that's you know. like ten
0: podcasts.
1: And it's uh, it's a big yeah. problem because yeah. it is a new field. Yes, they don't require any certification. Although there are programs that do offer certification. Okay, and um, and it it's just um, it the problem is is that hospices don't have that as part of the, most of them do not have end of life doula programs. Okay, and so I understand that there's a difference, and this is one thing that I had learned uh, in the program that I was in beginning in december mm-hmm. was that there is uh there are medical hospice and then there's also the um uh, uh volunteer hospice okay the two different types of hospice okay volunteer hospice actually gets a grant okay and so they have a lot more freedom to be able to do what they want got it and so there's a lot more of uh, uh, volunteer hospices that have um and end of life duos, okay,
0: because they and have medical, more resources.
1: And medical uh, uh, hospices—they have all kinds of uh, of uh, qualifications and and the paperwork that they have to fill out for Medicare and Medi-Cal and insurance companies and the right. Every, it's there's a lot of uh, restrictions, red tape. On it. Yeah, and so they don't really have a place for that, and so it's little snags that we've been running into with that.
0: Yeah, well, I know the the hospice we used had, Mm -hmm. they had their medical, like the home health aides, the nurses, all those guys, and then they had volunteers like Reiki masters, massage therapists, you know, like a little time relief people, like, give me a little break if I needed it. So it sounds like it'd be more like along the lines of those folks. Yeah, it would be a volunteer thing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Some people actually are charging for it and being as private practitioners.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. and
1: so that's always a possibility that okay. sort of thing but then people the general public is not going to understand what the value of that is right. so much Right. until they get into the experience of the person dying and they start having all kinds of family issues right. and, and and questions and difficulties
0: it'll take it's, a very aware person to actually yeah. know to call a death doula right? I mean, yeah
1: it's really yeah. it's uh you know it's it's we're just going through this period where we're really trying to evolve along uh our, our consciousness. Right. Not only about dying mm-hmm. uh, but also about medicine. Right. And the role of medicine. Right. And uh, and meanwhile we've got all these other, you know, me- intermediaries that are making money off the whole thing. Uh, yeah. It is mucking it up actually. <laughs> I know. It's not as patient centered as we all intend for it to
0: be Yeah. And and I think actually this is a perfect segue into mm-hmm. where we are right now because yeah. Part of getting this kind of information and being open to it is having open communication and discussions about this. And so Mm -hmm. we are actually here at a Buddhist center in Marin, and we're about to endeavor in what's called the Death Cafe. Yes. So tell everybody what that means, you know, how you're involved, the whole whole shebang. Well, we've been doing this now
1: for several years, Mm -hmm. but every three months we offer a Death Cafe. And we follow the program and the model of the Death Cafe, which is, and you can go to the website deathcafe.com, and it was started by um, an Englishman in uh, in London, Mm -hmm. and he he was very inspired by this social anthropologist who was really into um, uh, expressing a lot of concern for the fact that people are not really... um, you know, including death as part of their life mm-hmm. and resisting it a lot more. It seems to have been a whole Western thing. right? And so um, he decided to have, an, oh, this, uh, this social anthropologist had what they call cafe mortals. And, mm-hmm. and in Europe, they will have these, you know, coffee houses. Okay. And uh, traditionally, they would have like authors or poets who would come and mm-hmm. people would have coffee and some dessert and, and he did this for uh, Cafe Mortal, was to just talk about death. Mm-hmm. And so um, they started this in England, and this is quite a few years ago, well, five or six years ago. And now they have close to 8,000 death cafes that have been formed and completed. Wow. Since then. It's quite an amount. In over 60 different countries. Wow. So and it's pretty amazing. It really is quite a
0: phenomenon.
1: And people love coming here. It's the funniest thing. Yeah, and that's That's what what you said to me. Is
0: like it's actually quite uplifting. It's very
1: uplifting. People love it. Yeah, and I don't think it's just the cake and the brownies and the coffee. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Possibly the conversation too. Okay, but I think it's it's
1: almost like a little sub community of people who actually are interested in hearing what you have to say about, you know, the family member who just passed away. Right you know, or your concerns about your own health. Right. And, you know, people will actually make a space for that where they probably can't get anybody else to listen to
0: it. I mean, it's true. <laughs> this podcast is interesting because I think half my friends think I'm kind of crazy and half my friends are really <laughs> excited about it and love listening to it and want to learn more. So, you know, I ask a couple questions to all of my guests. Oh, okay. And um, basically, one is... What is your vision of the afterlife? And I, I think it's going to be interesting coming from you with a little bit of a Buddhist uh, twist to it.
1: Um, well, it's it is with a Buddhist twist. Afterlife really would be like um, I think about the bardo's, mm-hmm. and so um, our their understanding is is that the mind separates from the body. Okay. So if you think about that, mm-hmm. you want your mind to be really stable. Yeah. You don't want to be uh, f- you know, flying all over the place with all kinds of fears and thoughts and concerns and emotions. Right. Which is what most of us do. Yes. So you spend your life stabilizing your mind so that when an event happens, even if it's death, that you can rest with that awareness and be able to um, not be so frightened that you're separated from your body. Right. And when rebirth uh, opportunity for rebirth happens, you actually have some ability to look around and not and not jump into the wrong situation. Right. So um, that's kind of like a really mini uh, example of mm-hmm. it. But it's the big issue is to um, is to handle your you know being able to let go and to let go with that love and with that um, uh, with that stability. Did you believe in reincarnation? Well, sure. I don't think it's a matter of of, uh, of a belief. Yeah. The, the interesting thing is, that we really very much believe in all science because we think science is just so real, and anything else mm-hmm. spiritual is not so real. But actually, the 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 great pundits and the great spiritual masters their their uh, their study has been their mind, right? And they really have been able to explore their mind in a way that most of us have not done that
0: yeah I mean I definitely noticed that with my brother mm-hmm. as he was transitioning you could see mm-hmm. he was straddling worlds and yeah. he was you know talking to my parents yeah
1: he would that's pass amazing.
0: he had passed many you know decades before well, and you could see, I could hear him have conversations with them yes and I kept thinking that's frequent yeah, and I kept thinking, "Gosh, so there's so much out there yeah. that we don't know that right. our current status will not allow us to explore. Right. But per- perhaps when you're on the edge, of, on that precipice of yeah. life and death, you just your your brain opens up to a different um, universe, basically. You know, yeah.
1: And and a big basis of it is knowing that that anything in the phenomenal world is mm-hmm. not does not have any essential any essential true nature. Mm-hmm. -hmm. So that's not really true. So what is what is true? Right. And it's resting in the awareness, and that awareness. So the the mind, from a Buddhist point of view, is uh, is described as being clear, luminous, expansive, spacious, and
0: aware. Right.
1: So it doesn't. That really crosses the space time continuum. Right. I mean, it really is.
0: it, it's an attainment, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, how do we as mere mortals attain such <laughs> a giant order? <laughs>
1: well, the truth is, is that's available to every one of yes. us. The, the truth of that yeah. um, that uh, essential goodness yes. is in every single one of us, Right.
0: regardless. Right, right. Um, and then the, the other question that I always ask is, mm-hmm. um, what is a great life lesson you can you know, share with our listeners that you've learned throughout your life so far?
1: Well, you know, I was really inspired by uh, Jetson's, uh, um, Jetson uh, Tenzin Palmo saying that she learned that it was, that she was okay to not be all right, mm-hmm. because like so many of us, there's that sense of not being, not being completely complete, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, if I could just figure out how to be kind of thing, you know, then I would do it, right. and it would be all okay. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and that grasping towards that is, is you know, it for, it's, a, it's an issue for me as well as for others. And so that gradual letting go is really un, unfolding that same sense of it's okay if I'm not always right. Right. Or if I'm not always showing up in a way that looks like it's okay. Mm-hmm. Because everybody else is perceiving me through their own eyes. Right. And I'm perceiving them through my eyes. Right. And so that meaning, when we really are fully present from one another, doesn't happen very often. It's really quite
0: wonderful when it does. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, when you talk about completeness, mm-hmm. they look for that completeness in other people.
1: Yeah, but it's um, right there. Um, it ourselves. has to be within
0: yourself, right? Because right. no one is going to right. quote unquote complete you. Nobody right. is going to make you whole. Right. Like, that's the work you have to do for yourself, right. and being kind and having compassion and listening and whatnot. So. Um, anyways, I just want to thank you very much for being here and we're, we're about to embark on a death cafe. So I'm really excited about this. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Great. Thanks so much. Okay. Okay. Bye. bye bye. I'm Michelle Mathai and you've been listening to written on water. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thank you so much for listening until soon. listening to Written on Water. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Until soon.